I had these ideas around um, taking women's businesses into online marketplaces, something that had been brewing for a while, and I could see that there was a need for that in the community. And she had this idea around helping women um, network and learn from each other. And she has this wonderful model of learning by doing, which we've adopted in our social enterprise. And so many conversations happened, many Zoom calls happened, and from there we founded together Migrant Women in Business. This is the You Do You podcast, where we talk about healing, growing, and thriving so that you can be free to do you. So, welcome to the You Do You podcast. And today I'm really thrilled to be speaking with the lovely Corinne Kemp, who is co-founder of the Migrant Women in Business. And this podcast is a must-listen for anyone who's interested in the economic empowerment of women and also what you can do to make a difference. And Corinne will also share a little bit about her journey in business along the way, which has given her that first-hand experience to help guide the women that she now assists. So before we start, I'll just share a very brief bio on Corinne. And she is passionate about the economic empowerment of migrant women, which started after working as a volunteer for UNHCR in a refugee camp in Ethiopia. She's worked for the State and Commonwealth Department of Health and Ageing, the New South Wales Cabinet Office, and the Centre for Social Impact, which incidentally is where we studied, I studied as well. Corinne is also the former chair of the Australian Women Chamber of Commerce and Industry. She's always been motivated by applying her skills and experience to delivering improved community outcomes. She's a director of the Sydney Community Foundation and co-chair of Impact 100 Sydney and has previously served on the board of UN Women Australia. And running her own conference and event management for 10 years gave her the first-hand experience of the challenges and benefits of running your own business. And this experience has given her unique insights on the various pathways to employment for people from diverse backgrounds and also the very realistic challenges involved in entrepreneurship. So, Corinne, let's unpack this fascinating journey. And I thought I'd like to start with, um, if you could tell us what sparked that initial interest to start as a volunteer at the refugee camp in Ethiopia. Thanks, Cheryl, and it's lovely to be talking to you today. That's such a good question, and gosh, that takes me back to uh, being a university student and being really keen and eager, I think, to change the world. Um, when I was in high school, I, you know, in high school, you sometimes have the opportunity to join clubs or societies, and you can do debating or various things that, you know, of that nature. And I had the opportunity to join an organisation, which I still love, called the UN Youth Association. And we used to come together at conferences um, as a state and also nationally, and we would debate topics that were global issues. So rather than just debating local topics, we were starting to talk about things that were happening on the global stage 
at you know the humble age of 13 and 14. Wow what a what a great opportunity at that age. Amazing organization back then it was really small and you know it was just a bunch of kids that were really keen and eager these days you know they've got twitter handles and they're on socials they're taking over the world and they're this amazing organization with a huge alumni and indeed i'm still connected to people that i met then including my husband i have to say but to answer your question it gave me a taste for global issues and that social justice was something that was bigger than just my backyard, but it was on a world stage. And it was from there that it really sparked my interest and opened my eyes to what was happening in the wider world. And that was in a time, you know, before social media, before um, something could happen across the world and we would hear about it as it happened. Mm. You know, news didn't travel quite so fast. Things didn't happen at the same speed that they do now. So it was a really amazing opportunity to connect with the world in that way. Mm. Yeah, wow. And what, so can you just describe that experience? Because clearly that had a big impact on how your career would, um, you know, would work out. It did. It really did. Look, I was, as I said, I was at university and Mm. I was studying social work at Sydney University. And back then you did several uh, placements as part of your university degree. And I managed to talk uh, my head of department into allowing me to do that placement overseas, which was breaking all the rules. And of course, no one uh, was allowed to do that back then, but somehow I managed to talk my way into being able to do that. And I applied for this opportunity through UNHCR to volunteer. And you had to volunteer in a particular career Um, pathway and mine was as a women's development officer so I convinced them that I had expertise in community development and here I was going to apply all of the learnings that I'd had a couple of years of university and change the world in an Ethiopian refugee camp. Oh I love it (laughs) (laughs) I love that I love that you know just yeah You know, it's one of those things that you jump in uh, feet first and you think about how you're going to do it later. Mm -hmm. And here I was in the middle of Ethiopia. You know, it was back in the day where it took a few days to travel to to Africa. Um, There was no communication, I think, in the time that I was there for four months. I think I spoke to my family back home once and they managed to get a hold of me because it was my birthday. And my mother had spent hours trying to connect a phone call to me in a refugee camp. But it was, you know, I landed in this camp and here I was, it was 40,000 refugees were there. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was no resources at my disposal. There was nothing there, not even pen and paper, you know, unless I brought it with me to try and develop some programs that could really have a meaningful impact or change to the lives of people in the camp. And I remember thinking, you know, after a a few moments, my goodness, what could I possibly do here um, that will make a difference? And I was immediately connected with this amazing group of women, and they were the unofficial leaders of the camp. The camp had this very formal structure where you had the men that were the leaders of the community, and they would come together on a regular basis and discuss how they could change things or issues that were pertinent at that moment. And then the women would meet but informally and that's where actually all the work happened and it was very clear to me that's where the decisions were made that's where change happened 
And I sat with them and listened to their stories and felt very humbled, um, you know, from my very privileged life in Australia to hear the stories and the atrocities that they had endured and how they had thrived in their life and they had gone on to be really amazing women and achieve so much. The fact that they just survived was an achievement in itself. Mm. But they were building a community. They were growing their families. They were finding ways to educate them. And we quickly realised that there were a couple of issues that were really um, at the forefront of their challenges. The first was a very real need and a very practical one, that they didn't have access to things like sanitary products. You know, we barely had access to soap, for example, for the community there. I can remember we would dispense soap once a month and it had to last, you know, until the next delivery came. But they certainly didn't have access to things like sanitary products. They also didn't have access to the means of um, building their skills or accessing education. There was a makeshift school there for children and they would learn English from anyone that would speak to them really it wasn't anything more formal but the women didn't have an opportunity to find uh, an opportunity to develop their own skills and a lot of time on their hands and mm. wanting to better themselves while they were in these camps and they also didn't have a means to earn money there were a few entrepreneurial women that had opened up sort of um, you know shantytown type coffee shops that you just do coffee or bread or something and they had started to build a little business but for the majority of them they didn't have the means to do that so we thought long and hard, what could we do to try and overcome all of these challenges at once? And one of the women said, came up to me and she said, Corinne, I've got an idea. She said, I think that if we could get a small amount of money from UNHCR that's attached to you being here, um, maybe we could buy in a couple of sewing machines and some material and we could make sanitary pads for women. And in doing so, we would solve the problem that they don't have access to sanitary products. And it would be a product that they could simply use and wash and recycle. Mm. And we would learn how to sew. A few of us can sew. We can teach others. And together we can build our skills. And we could then maybe start selling those products as well to women who can afford to be buying them. And so from this little idea, you know, it grew. And all of a sudden, we had a little bit of money, just enough to buy a couple of sewing machines, had a little bit of money to buy some material. And all of these women started coming out of the woodwork, desperate to be a part of this program. Wow. And from there, we built our small, you know, small business that achieved so much in its simplicity. And I guess for me, that was a real lesson learnt in that mm. you can create amazing things from very little. And women have a particular knack, I think, of doing that. Absolutely, absolutely. That is just so inspiring to hear, um, you know, just from virtually nothing, right? There was nothing there. And it's, okay, what can we do? And someone comes up with this idea. From there, you start with small beginnings, and then it mushrooms out. And it also gets the community involved. So there's so many, um, you know, so many fantastic outcomes from that one initiative that's exactly right yeah. and it's yeah. interesting because it also had the purpose of you know children would start to be interested in what the women were doing right. 
work. And I was there with a couple of other university students from other parts of the world. And they were charged with different parts of, of development in the camp. And I remember one of them was in charge of the youth group and they were desperately interested in what did this mean? How could they maybe take some of those lessons and, and develop a program as well? And interestingly, the elders, the men who were very reluctant to even engage in a conversation around what this program could look like, started to see the value and were really proud of what had been achieved in just a short time. But it was a wonderful program. And, and I, I'm often reminded of that time, I think, when things seem tricky to do when you don't have resources to hand, which is, I think, a challenge that many women face as they start their own business, that actually you just need a great idea and the desire for it to, to happen and you just got to jump in and do it. I love that, Corinne. I love that because I think a lot of us uh, can tend to look at what we don't have rather than what we do have. And sometimes what we do have is the, even if it's just the desire and an idea, and from there to, you know, allow it to develop like you did. And I think it just starts with that, um, that mindset because the mindset makes such a huge difference on the outcome of our lives and, you know, how we think about things and what we end up doing. And it just amazes me to hear, I just love to hear stories like that because it reminds me of the incredible resilience that we have, you know, just the human spirit, um, that ability to overcome. Absolutely. Is, yeah, is really wonderful. And so you had this amazing experience and how long were you there for, did you say? I was there for four months. Right, okay. It was just a short period of time, but gosh, it was amazing. Yeah, four months to pack all of that in. That's <laughs> just, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, a couple of years. <laughs> uh, well, there's not much else to do when you're sort of in the middle of Ethiopia and yeah. you've got a so, right, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, of course. Really inspiring people. Yeah. And so you came back home and uh, and how did the career journey sort of continue from there? Yeah, look, I finished my university degree in social work and although, gosh, that seems like a lifetime ago now and I think this is something that you and I have talked about previously, I think the training that a social work degree provides, um, gives you a useful framework, um, regardless of the setting in which you take it. And I was really lucky to work in lots of different places over the last sort of 20 odd years. The first job I took after university was to work as a clinical social worker at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. Mm -hmm. I worked in the oncology team and also the maternal health team. I did that for about a year or so. And then I moved to Canberra and I took on a role with the Commonwealth Government. I was never certain about whether I wanted to take a clinical pathway in social work or a social policy pathway. And it's one of those wonderful degrees that offers you lots of opportunity to, to pick a path as such. So I thought, well, I'll give social policy a go for a couple of years. And I always intended to go back to clinical social work, but I guess life took me on a different pathway. And um, I worked in the national health priority areas, um, looking at developing clinical guidelines for diabetes 
and then in oncology. So I had a great time um, there really learning the ropes in terms of the federal government, um, the process of developing policy, uh, community engagement, stakeholder engagement, and was also always drawn, I think, to that aspect of it. I loved working with the community. I loved those consultations. And it was at a wonderful time when the department was keen to bring in uh, clinical experience into the policy setting. So it was a lovely moment in time to make that transition from clinical to policy, because it was an experience that they wanted to hear about and really become relevant um, in the areas in which policy was being implemented. So I had a great opportunity there to do that and worked with an amazing group of people and um, it was really inspiring actually to feel like you could make a difference to, to policy. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I have time to think that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just think, you know, that, um, uh, you, you know, clearly you have that ability to be able to bring people together and influence outcomes for good as well. So, and I can see how that has made a big difference in what you're doing today. And, you know, all the experiences that you gained um, and, yeah, how it's helping you do what you're doing now. So... Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no, no. No, you go on. I was going to say it's interesting because I was, you know, really young at the time and I thought I, you know, was making a huge difference. I probably didn't make an enormous amount of difference, but I think the experience was just really... Um, it taught me some really good foundation skills. And I'm always one who says, if you get the opportunity to cut your teeth in government, be it state or, or Commonwealth, it's such a good foundation to learn um, ethics and mm. how to comport yourself in the workplace and what is due process. And whenever I then had the opportunity to employ people when I was a lot more senior in the department or wherever I was working, I always looked for people that had maybe had that experience in their background because it was really I think uh, strong lessons were learned in that time it was really formative and it really served me well later on in life. Mm, mm, I can see I can see how that um, made a big difference and so from there uh, you went straight into your own initiatives your own business? I did yeah life was a strange little course I was quite unwell and, and suffered quite badly with some health problems for a couple of years and had found myself sort of in and out of hospital and um, uh, needing sort of long-term treatment and I suffered from ulcerative colitis which I don't often talk about because it's so far in my my ancient history now but it was a time when I really had to look after myself and I took a step back from professional work and really, as I was getting stronger and healthier and fitter and in the recovery phase, I quickly realised that I wanted to find employment where I could dictate um, the time and place. And I think that's a story that resonates with a lot of women. And, and one of the reasons they go into business themselves is that they want to be stewards of their own time and they want to be able to dictate when they're at work and when time is, is their own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think particularly when you have a family as well, it becomes, you know, even more crucial to, yeah, to be able to um, have a life that is not being dictated by, uh, you know, the rules and um, that's right. And the reality is, is that when you run your own business, you're probably working much harder than when you're working for somebody oh, else. Absolutely. But the difference is, is that you're doing it at a time and a place that is 
more suitable to your life. And for some people, that is the answer. It isn't for everybody, but for some, it really is the answer. And for me, it was because it meant that, um, you know, I could make my medical appointments if I wanted to, and I could work at a time and place that suited me. And it was such an exciting time. And, um, you know, again, I was full of enthusiasm and excitement. He was a new journey and almost a new whole new career. Although what it was, it was running an event management company that was working in the social policy space, because that's where I, you know, I was passionate about those issues. And I was, I loved working with the community and charitable organisations. So I designed a business that would allow me to keep a hand in social policy and that would still allow me to, to connect with those organisations. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, you know, people talk about imposter syndrome. I remember thinking when I set up the business, I gave myself just a really small budget to set up the business. And I had um, just inherited a small amount of money from my late grandmother, bless her. And I earmarked some of that money to start the business. And I told myself she was this really entrepreneurial woman, really ahead of her time. And she would be okay with me taking this risk. And I can remember it was $5,000. And I spent most of it on things that I told myself, if it all went belly up, I could sell these things and I wouldn't lose too much money. So it was things like a desk, a desk chair, a computer. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, you know, really basic things that I was prepared to invest in myself. Yeah. And the big investment I made was in a website. And that was back in the day when you couldn't knock up a website overnight and do it yourself. You really needed to outsource that to a professional. And I had spent quite an, an enormous amount of that money just doing the website. And I decided that was the key to the business success. And I remember applying for a tender and, you know, really having to draw a bit of a long bow about my event management experience as that company, because really all of my experience had come working for somebody else. That's right. And I knew I could do it, but that's one thing, convincing somebody else that you've got the legitimacy to do it was quite another. But and you had experience. I you know, did. listening back to how you even got your stint <laughs> as a volunteer, you know, it seems that, yeah. You, well, you, you know, it's one of those things. You just got to talk the talk and believe you can do it and then just jump in and, and say you will and then work out how. And to this day, I can still remember the excitement I had when I won my first tender and it was for the Department of Education. And I remember thinking, I've probably only won this because nobody else would be stupid enough to try and deliver <laughs> what they've asked for in the time frame that they've asked for it to happen. But hell, let's give it a go. Yeah. And, you know, fast forward, it was an amazing success and they became a long-term client. And from there, actually, it was word of mouth and I built my business. But it was really just taking that first plunge and saying, give it a go. Um, that really got me started. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's so true. I think that that taking that first plunge is that critical step, isn't it? There are so many people in that situation, even now, um, that would love to to take that first plunge, but are held back by fears and apprehensions and whatever else. And it's really great to hear stories like yours and to see how it all actually panned out. <laughs> That's right. And look, I'm often asked by people, people often ask for advice around starting their own small business, whether they should do it or not. 
And the best advice I can give them is probably the advice I give, you know, my 14 year old daughters, do something that you are passionate about and the rest will come. If you're excited about what you're working on or in and you're passionate and you're genuinely interested, then the rest will follow. Um, and I think that's a, a really important life lesson. And for, for many starting their own business, it's just somebody giving them that nudge that they've got what it takes to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I did, um, I've done career coaching for the best part of 20 years as part of everything I've done. And that has always been uh, something that I've said to people. It starts with doing what you love doing, what you're passionate about, what you're really interested in and taking it from there. So, yeah, I think that's, that's really great advice. And so, okay, so that was for a 10-year period, is that right? Yes, that's yeah? right. Okay. And, um, and so what happened after that and, you know, how did that change occur? Yeah, sure. So after I'd had the agency for about 10 years, I was lucky enough to bring it into the Centre for Social Impact and it became absorbed as part of their communications team and worked there for a couple of years. As a family, we then had the opportunity to go overseas for four years. And that was a great moment in time for me. Um, professionally, it allowed me for the first time in my life, I think since age about 14 or 15, to take a break from paid work. Um, and allowed me to sort of focus on my children. I, I went back to work when my daughters were three months old. I have twin daughters and I went back to work because I wanted to. I was excited about working and being a mum and I did that juggle that we all know so well. But I'd never really taken a step back from work and just been a mum. So I used the opportunity of us being overseas to do that, which was a, a wonderful opportunity that I had and still remain connected to, to Sydney. So I sat on the Sydney Community Foundation Board and I was involved in Impact 100 Sydney, which is a, a giving circle of Sydney siders that support the Sydney charitable community. And so remain connected to the issues that were current in, in Australia, even though we were overseas. Um, fast forward those four years, we came back to Australia two years ago, uh, settled the kids, you know, settled our home, and started to think, well, what do I want to do next? Um, here I am at a, a wonderful crossroads where I'm not currently working in anything at the moment and the world is my oyster. I can work wherever I sort of so choose to. I'm not sort of falling into a role. I'm not having to, to wait for the next thing to come along. I can actually take a moment and think what next. And I attended an International Women's Day breakfast, an event that I love and I go to every year because the women that I go to that event with are, are strong women that I love connecting with in that way. And one of the keynote speakers was a woman by the name of Luz Restrepo. And she spoke passionately about her work in an organisation that supported migrant and refugee women to settle in Victoria in Melbourne and to start developing their literacy skills, their business skills, and to start connecting with each other um, informally and formally, but to start learning the language and those skills through that connection, coming together as a group of women. And I thought, what a fabulous program. That is something I would love to work in. I would love to work back in the migrant and refugee community. I knew I wanted to work with women because I'd always done so throughout my career. And it just made sense. So I picked up the phone and I rang her 
And uh, I'd also sent her an email saying, look, I love what you do. I want to replicate that in Sydney. There isn't anything like that in New South Wales. I'd love the opportunity to, to replicate the model and expand it here. And she said, that sounds fantastic, Corinne, but I'm leaving the organisation because I want to do so much more. I really want to build the brand and the entrepreneurship of the women that I work with. I don't want them to build the, the charitable organisation that I work with. I don't want them to build that brand. I want to build their brands. Mm -hmm. I want them to become the business women and to build their skills and to carry that forward. And I've got some ideas about how that could work. COVID hit. Within a couple of weeks, we all went into lockdown and these conversations, we had planned to meet in person and plan out what that could look like. I had these ideas around um, taking women's businesses into online marketplaces, something that had been brewing for a while, and I could see that there was a need for that in the community. And she had this idea around helping women um, network and learn from each other. And she has this wonderful model of learning by doing, which we've adopted in our social enterprise. And so many conversations happened, many Zoom calls happened, and from there, we founded together Migrant Women in Business. And she took carriage of the business network aspect of the organisation and right. quickly developed a, a business network of women in Victoria predominantly, but it's now national, that come together and they support each other and they learn from each other and we run masterclasses and workshops, etc. Mm. And I took carriage of our online marketplace called Made by Many Hands. And the principle behind that marketplace was really simple. It was to provide an online market where women who had lower levels of English literacy, numeracy or digital literacy could still sell their products in an online marketplace. We knew they were selling in markets, for example, locally or their local school community or church groups and so on. But there were lots of women out there that were running these nano or micro businesses whose market disappeared overnight as soon as COVID hit Australia. I thought, well, let's put them online because their customers are now behind a computer. They're behind a mobile phone. They're not at a marketplace in person. And Corinne, so, sorry, just yeah. to interrupt, how did you find these women? So I know that there was some connections there already, existing connections. Yep. Yeah. So Lourdes had connections from the organisation that she had come from. Mm. She is a migrant to Australia herself. She came here as a refugee 10 years ago. So she'd been heavily involved in the sector. And we just put the word out. We started telling people about who we were, what we wanted to achieve, and referrals started to flow in. And women can self-refer as well. So we'd get these wonderful emails saying, you know, I run the small business from home. I create beautiful um, products that are perhaps uh, soft toys, for example, made from recycled blankets. I can no longer sell at markets. I'm interested in listing online. Um, products like food-based products, all sorts of things. And we started to have these referrals come forward and um, we identified that there was a group of women who didn't have either the confidence or the skills or the capacity to access mainstream services that are designed for people starting their own small business. And either because they, they didn't have the confidence to access it or perhaps not the language or didn't even know they existed. And we wanted to work with them. 
we wanted to work with those women that were falling through the cracks of the other services that were being provided around Australia. And that's how we began. And so today there's about 80 sellers that are selling on Made by Many Hands and anything ranging from amazing chili sauce to beautiful macrame products, um, dog collars, for example, Panama hats, um, everything you can possibly imagine. But the one thing they have in common is they've been crafted by these amazing migrant and refugee women that are just really entrepreneurial and passionate about the product that they sell and create. So these women have that spark, that real joy for, for what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, for what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, so, so wonderful to hear. Um, and I was thinking, so with, uh, with Migrant Women in Business, you've got a number of different initiatives within that. So you've got Many Hands, which is the women that are selling these products online. You've also got the, um, the, the coaching and mentoring side of it. Yeah, so we've got the Accelerator Network and yeah. through that network, women can access a business mentor um, and the network, a professional mm -hmm. network. So there's more professional business development skills on that side. And then the Made by Many Hands platform, whilst it's an online marketplace for people like you and me to go and shop and, and um, buy beautiful products, the back end of it has been designed to build our seller's skills. So by listing her products, and trading with customers, she's starting to build her literacy and numeracy skills. She's also starting to learn the skills associated with financial management. So for example, it automates her financial records. So in a year or two, she might be able to take those financial records to a bank, for example, and apply for a small business loan. Oh, she's, also, yeah, yeah. she's also learning great language skills. How do you yeah. interact with a customer over the yeah. phone or over yeah. email? text message so it's a skills-based uh, model that we have with it that allows women to develop and build their business skills and their profiles and their mm. brands all at the same time mm, mm. we're also launching a new product this year and just a sneak preview for you which is called made by many minds and that's for service providers that are of migrant refugee women so made by many hands is more product driven so right. beautiful you might use for gifting or to spoil yourself and made by many minds is more of a service-based platform so that's oh, an exciting that's development wonderful yeah really really wonderful what um so I was just thinking what are the aspects of um your role and what you do that you find the most rewarding that's such a good question Cheryl um there's a few different parts to that answer the stuff I find most rewarding is when you manage to work alongside a woman and you give her the tools that she needs to build her business and she starts to trade online and can make a living from that and start to be economically independent. That's such a rewarding moment when you can see that change from somebody who has no confidence in the business that they have or no confidence in themselves to run that business and suffers imposter syndrome to being really confident and mm. kicking goals and making sales that is probably the most rewarding the contribution that I really want to make to the organization is to try and connect uh, our entrepreneurial women to opportunities that they wouldn't necessarily be able to access on their own so by that for example uh, we started a program late last year of corporate gifts. So we started to go to corporate clients to say, we have these amazing sellers and we can look after your corporate gifting this Christmas, either for staff or for clients. 
And because we were able to group together a group of entrepreneurial women and a product offering that was better collectively, we were able to open those doors and start giving them the exposure of their business and brand and giving them a commercial opportunity. So instead of selling five or six units, they were all of a sudden selling 100 units to a customer. That's a real aha moment oh, for me. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what, um, and what have you found the most challenging? Gosh, the most challenging, I think, is probably um, COVID has meant that we are all working independently in you know, our own homes and online. And um, sometimes the challenge of not being able to see people in person and having a great conversation that just flows more easily and sparks you know, different transient directions and so on can be quite hard. So I think the challenge of having to have conducted the whole organisation online um, has been a real challenge, but that's a challenge we are all familiar with and we're all overcoming that. You know, funny story, Luz and I, two years down the track almost of having founded Micro Moon Business, have still not been in the same room together because borders have been closed. Yeah. So imminently we will hopefully be in the same room. Hopefully that, sometime this year. Yes, that's right. But that also goes to show that so much can be done even without that. You know, here Absolutely. we are having a social enterprise and grown it. Um, never having sat together at the same table, but it's always over the phone, over Zoom, a quick conversation here or there and just get on with the job because it needs yeah. to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking, you know, also, Corinne, with um, the refugee community that, you know, that has obviously been growing and expanding, it's so important for us to understand what is happening in that community because we are all part of this, you know, bigger community. And... Um, and getting an understanding really creates that, uh, that opportunity to connect on a deeper level. And when there's that connection on a deeper level, uh, you know, there's a lot more harmony within the community as well. Um, so, you know, I was just thinking of the flow-on effects of this that are so powerful. And language is such an important thing, you know, particularly when we're a group of women that, you know, we might have a Zoom, for example, with um, 15 women, there'll be 10 different languages there as people's first languages. And a lot can be lost in translation. And also just the power of sitting with someone and the body language and the unspoken words and so much more can be achieved when you can do something in person. Um, the other thing, of course, worth mentioning is that although everything that we're doing is online, there are many people in the community that we work with that don't have access to those tools. You know, you and I take it for granted that we can have this conversation over Zoom and we don't think twice about it. But actually, for many of the women that we work with, they don't have access to a, a desktop computer and a stable Wi-Fi connection um, and are very reliant on needing to, you know, use a mobile phone and, and connect that way. And, um, and so we're really trying to change our model of service delivery so that, for example, they could manage their store made by many hands just from a mobile phone. So we have an app that's in development at the moment that would allow women to manage their entire small business from their mobile phone rather than needing a computer. Oh, so that's thinking, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that's a really exciting yeah. thing. I'm so, so pleased yeah. that's coming online shortly. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think that's going to make such a huge difference. 
um, you know, to that community and being able to, uh, you know, the other thing is I was going to say that my husband Lucas and I have done um, a lot of work with the refugee and migrant community, as I mentioned when, um, you know, when we met earlier on. And um, just being able to sit and listen to their stories and to hear their challenges. And it was really interesting because they were talking about the issue with, um, you know, with the language barrier and saying that, okay, they get a couple of lessons through TAFE as part of the assistance that they're given. And they were talking about all the different challenges around that and how it didn't eventuate too much in terms of learning the actual language and being able to have conversations and uh and so we were you know thinking oh you know what can we do to help them and I just started making a few phone calls and um and found out there were a number of different uh churches around in the different communities and they were having these um morning teas now this was pre-COVID obviously they were having morning teas and so we connected them up with that and they they loved it because not only were they making friends, but they were learning conversational English, which is what was important to them. And yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, especially now that the community is opening up a little bit, you know, people are able to get out there a bit more. Um, hopefully we'll see some more of that. But I think it's great to be having this conversation because there are many people that probably would love to help or be involved or do something but it all just seems too much or you know where do I start what can I do and so what would you say to people who are listening and, and are thinking wow you know I'd like to be able to do something um, what are some of the different things that they can do That's a great question there are a couple of different things that people can do that are very practical and that would make a difference if you have expertise in business and want to connect with migrant women in business, perhaps as a business mentor, for example, to volunteer your time or as an expert, you should absolutely connect with us on migrant women in business. And you can find our website, migrantwomeninbusiness.com.au. Find us on all the social channels as well under that name. The other thing that you can do, which is probably the most practical and can make the most difference is the women that we work alongside at Made by Many Hands are entrepreneurial and they run their own business. And the best thing you can do is to give them your business, support them by buying their products and giving them the dignity of work and the opportunity to grow economically and to make a difference to the lives of their family. So they are business women and we work with them in a model that is around, that's who how we view them. They run a business, they run a small business, they are not the recipients of charity when it comes to working with us. And the best way we can support them is to grow their business and give them ours. So I would encourage anyone to shop at madebymanyhands.com.au. It's a shameless plug, but there are beautiful things there and that will actually make a difference to the lives of the women that we work with. Absolutely. In fact, I was going to ask you where can they connect as well with you to find out about what can be done. So. I think that that's, you know, that's really fantastic. And, um, and it's just so enriching as well, isn't it? I think when we reach out and, uh, and connect with people of other cultures, um, there's such a richness that we benefit from. And, it, and it's, it's both ways, but 
I think it's so it it's timely as well. I think you know, reaching out because there's so much happening in the world at the moment and there's so much, you know, division and there's just so much negative energy that's flying out around there. But in the midst of all that, there are beautiful and wonderful things happening, like what you're doing with these women. And so connecting to, um, yeah, connecting to more positive initiatives like this can make a difference for us, for everyone. And so, you know, I think it's so important to have this conversation and for people to hear and to understand um, how they can connect, what they can do to make a difference and make some lovely new friends in the process as well. Couldn't have said it better, Cheryl. It's yeah. so, so true. You know, the women I, I work alongside often say, you know, they've benefited so much from the program or they love being a part of it, but actually... I'm the one who's learnt so much. I've learnt so much from them and their entrepreneurial spirit and drive and passion. It's, it's quite contagious and really inspiring. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for your time today, Corinne. It's been really lovely chatting with you. Um, I, you know, wish you all the very best. I know we are interested in collaborating on some of these initiatives and looking at what we can do together moving forward. I'm personally really passionate about this as well and looking forward to, you know, what we can do a little bit further down the track and hopefully get to meet up again. Absolutely. So wonderful to connect with you, Cheryl. And I love the podcast. And it's such a wonderful opportunity to, to talk about such an important group of people and passionate women. Thank you. It is. It is. And, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again a bit further down the track and hear about the other new initiative that you've got going. So it all sounds really wonderful. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you so much, Corinne. It's been lovely chatting with you and people know where they can reach you. So um, do you have an Instagram? I don't know if you mentioned. We're on Instagram, yeah. Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find us everywhere, madebymanyhands.com.au or Migrant Women in Business. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Corinne, and all the best with everything. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, we loved having your company. Remember to subscribe and let's catch up again next week.